3: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Good evening and blessings. And welcome to another installment of The Gist of Freedom of Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. And here on the 20th of
5: February.
6: 1965 on okay. Sunday afternoon, and we're going to Saturday right here. So, this is a special place, uh, that's a global space,
5: and it's a, a space of both tragedy and because you're here tonight, Okay, so we want you to understand and let people know that what this place represents.
6: Um, as we start, I was supposed to really want to thank Leslie, who gets the free.
5: Where's Leslie? Leslie? Where's Leslie? Leslie in the back there.
6: we're here we World great people and great organizations upon us when events like this. And the yeah, an organization has brought this, this program here to work with us. So we're very thankful for this relationship and we look forward to moving forward with this. I also want to mention also the uh, star of the evening they uh, the acclaimed co-maker Sam, Sam Paula. And I also want very, very importantly, I want to introduce the daughter of Malcolm X and Dr. Ben Shabada. There's a Yaku Shabbat and Malak Shabbat, so let's
5: the <laughs> It's important to mention
6: all the board members because so they're my bosses.
5: <laughs> I have to behave myself. There's
6: one special, you're all very special, there's a special person in the house tonight I'd like to mention. You all really enjoy when you come in downstairs. this wonderful life that that statue you of Brother Malcolm. This is the great artist, Gabriel Curran, is right here. Would you please stand up? Just uh, a little bit of business. I want to thank you all for your donations. It means a lot to us to the cups. keep the doors open. Uh, I look forward to more donations. We do need them. One of the things we're working on is to have a, a beautiful uh, plot for Malcolm X's in this very place. And so we're looking to get 50,000 to that over the next few months. So the next time you come in here next year, we'll have an appropriate um, memorial for him, okay? So please be generous. Uh, secondly, we're selling books at the back there uh, of Malcolm X's speeches, many of which were he made right here. When you think of the, the, that great line by anything's message, he made that speech right here. Okay, this is not some little space, this is an integral space in his life, in his message. Okay, um, one other thing, we have an internship program that we're starting here. So anybody uh, who has, knows uh, bright students uh, from the 8th grade to the 12th grade, who may be, please let us know. Okay, um, lastly, uh, um, most importantly, uh, this Thursday coming is, the, is February the 21st represents the day of that terrible tragedy in which Brother Malcolm was taken from his family and from the loved ones and the people who really needed this message. Um, it's, it's important to, to, to note that Dr. Benny Shabbat was pregnant with her four daughters was sitting right over there in booth number four. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce the Yaf Shabbat.
7: Mark is our executive director. We have, we opened up the center a few years after my mother passed away. Um, And so we're really fortunate right now to have Mark Cardin as our uh, executive director. He's been doing a great job. So let's please give him a round of applause.
3: And of course, Malacca, my niece,
7: the gluten sister, is here in the house. And so Malacca, uh, I know Mark already said something, but stand up again. <laughs> so um, when my mother, oh, so i sorry. I want to talk about, very briefly, about this place. Um, we are very blessed uh, that our mother that she was able to turn tragedy into triumph. Because it was right here where my father was martyred, where he was brutally, politically assassinated, um, where he was killed. And it was very difficult for our mother to ever talk about where he was buried, uh, to talk about anything that reminded her of that day, February 21st, 1965. And so, I am very happy that I came here with her, and she really lit up when she came in here. She spoke about Daniel Galvez, doing this incredible mural. She picked out important uh, uh, moments in my father's in, in my father's life that she wanted to dip it on the wall. Uh, she was extremely meticulous. She was a perfectionist. She wanted you to, to do it right. Keep doing it until you got it right. And. Um, you know, one of the things that I usually share that really speaks to the core of who Dr. Ben Shabbat is, uh, she was so loving, so caring, um, very protective of her family and you know her daughters and her husband. Uh, when uh, Daniel Galvez did the, the portion there, where you see my mother pointing to where Daddy is in Africa with my uh, with me, with Kabila and Aviela. She said, you must put a bassinet on the floor because that was my fourth baby, the Miele, to feel left out. She wanted to make sure that the president and the star were positioned uh, correctly on his ring. And even with uh, uh, Gabriel Coren, with this magnificent sculpture downstairs. First, you know, everyone who does math, and, you know, they, they make him, you know, kind of tough, and, you know, they put really nice clothes on him. And she said, "Well, wait a minute. My husband—he was conservative. He didn't wear Armani. He just wore a simple two-button or three-button suit. And and God bless you, uh, Gabriel, for just doing a magnificent job. But she was very, very happy and proud of that culture downstairs. here." My mother wanted this place to illuminate the legacy of her husband not for the purpose of glorifying Malcolm X, but for the purpose of empowering those who come here. And uh, so it is very important to us that we have programs uh, that tell a story, that tell a story of our history, that inspires, empowers the truth of who we are. The beginning of civilization we know began in Africa. The beginning of the first library, resurrected, Magnificent, libraries library, resurrected in Africa. So we were very learned, highly skilled uh, individuals before we were, uh, we endured the, the transatlantic, you know, the, the transatlantic slave trade, understanding that it was the largest forced migration of a people in the history of mankind. Oftentimes when I ask young people to raise their hand, who heard of the uh, the European modern-day Jewish Holocaust, everyone raises their hands, and it's, it's amazing. And then when I ask them, how many of you heard of the African Holocaust? No one raises their hand. So it says that we have to do our job, all of us who are old enough, and smart enough, and all those great things, we have to make sure that we preserve, document, research, and all those things uh, when we leave. And that we also are teaching our young people. Okay, now it is, I am absolutely honored to introduce Sam Pollard, the award filmmaker, an Oscar nominee. Okay, so without further ado,
8: I'm very (laughs) honored (laughs) to be here at the Chicago tonight. About four and a half years ago, this book was given to me in July, Slavery by Another Name. It was written by a gentleman named Douglas Blackton, and he was working at the time for the Wall Street Journal, out of Atlanta. With my background working on documentaries like Eyes on the Prize, and Lives of Fall, Chip Crow, I thought I knew all the African American stories that existed. But when I read this book in galleries, I was amazed that the, this, this untold story, that looked at African Americans from the aftermath of the Civil War through the beginning of World War II, basically primarily in the South, were forced into this thing called peonage. De- where if you were an African American man, you walked from a small town in Alabama, you can be picked up for large and you can be picked up for just smoking a cigarette, you can be arrested, you can be sentenced to two, three, four, five, six, seven years of jail. You can be forced to work in coal mines or lumber camps, or on railroad square railroad farms. You know, you can be forced to work on plantations. So when I read this book, it was like a real eye opener, and I knew that this needed to be a film. This is an important thing, not only to be read on the written page to be seen on the screen.
3: So it's like a lot of documentary filmmakers went through the process of raising the funds, and about two and a half years ago, we were able to get the film into production. And one
8: of the amazing things about doing documentaries is always the research. I spent a lot of time in Alabama, in little small towns going through their penal files, looking at the charges that were put in <coughs> African American men, and in some cases women, in some cases children, for the minor crimes. of stealing a pig. He could be arrested for five or six, seven years, you know. But we really just did a tremendous amount of in-depth research. And then when I was down there a few months later, shooting with these actors that just seen the film, who, you know, we did this reenactment where they were in prison guard and they were in chains. It was really sort of a real sort of like feeling like I was there, going through that period about this horrible period of American history. This is an important film. This is a film that everyone should see. This is a film that you can see on the internet. So if you haven't seen it tonight, tell your friends and family members you can stream it at pbs.org. It's playing on television again on the regular PBS station. But you know, this is a film that should be shown everywhere. I've shown it in Schomburg. I've shown it at Al and place. Any place you want to show this film, any school for anybody, young or old, I will take the film to be shown. It's an important film. And the legacy of this film is the industrial prison complex. Yeah. Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, comes out. Of what this book is all about, right. you know. There's a the legacy there. So please watch this film. Hopefully, open your eyes, make you think, make you want to go do your own research. Thank you
5: very much. All right.
9: So from. The far right is David Bayer-Tire. Uh, he is the director of programming for the National Suburban Oral History Project at Oxford University. Uh, there is Chet Wai, who is the executive director of column for Obama. Um, there's Stephanie Wilson, uh, and I'll read uh, briefly from her bio. Uh, she is the executive director of the New Jersey Amishab Commission, a division of, a division of the New York Department of State, New Jersey Department of State a groundbreaking state-mandated educational initiative that is tasked with the full infusion and inclusion of African American historical content into the K-12 system. There's Dr. Walter Griesen, is the CEO of the International Center for Metropolitan Growth, a company dedicated to revitalizing working class neighborhoods. He is also the author of a new book, which I believe he has some copies here tonight called uh, Suburban Erasure, uh, How the Suburbans Ended the Civil Rights Movement in New Jersey. And next to him is the, the distinguished Michael Court uh, who is a Philadelphia criminal defense attorney, community activist, founding member of Avenging the Ancestors Coalition, a self-described angriest black man in America. Uh-huh. Uh, he also teaches at Temple University and writes for the Philadelphia Post about race politics and the American justice system. And you to host that radio show, right? Yeah, he do that. Um, I'm going to start uh, with Mr. Davis uh, toward the end, and I want to get your reflection on the film that we just saw. And I believe we have to pass this microphone to you
5: so
6: you can speak. Good afternoon.
10: Um, I would say I think that the most important aspect of this film is the power of those whose voice is echoed in the experience of both their ancestors as well as that validating that African-Americans have more than deserved the full privilege and prerogatives of American citizenship. I think that often we make the mistake of thinking that a struggle has a direct path to a particular outcome. And for African Americans or people of African African descent in general, we still struggle with validating our identity, our knowledge, our labor, and our experience. I mean, even being here in Harlem, and you think about many contributions you know that we made to the overall identity
1: of the United
10: States. And most of us probably would have never heard these stories, partly because American pop culture at the same time reflected images of us that said we were ladies, said we were criminals. Or the idea that most of those images were created right here in the state of New York and consumed by the South. So, I think that it still speaks to a lot of things that we need to think about regarding our current situation as far as stopping prison. We need to think about what it means to limit a a young man who may have been convicted for possession from going to college. And the idea that unemployment being as high as it currently is that we are basically creating a similar system for our young people, because there is no opportunity for them when they are undereducated and over um, incarcerated. Thank you.
5: i should have to ask Dr.
9: Vincent to follow up. I think you just covered the content of the entire panel. Okay. Okay. For the opportunity to
10: come out and speak with all of you, uh, it's an extraordinary event on sacred grounds, and it's, it's a miracle, really, that we have this opportunity, especially in the shadow of what we've just seen in the film. Um, I want to be relatively brief because I am desperate to hear from all of you about your reactions and your questions, and that will drive the most productive conversation from my perspective uh, this evening. First, I want to say uh, congratulations to Filmmakers and the hosts this evening the Strauss family and the executive directors and staff for hosting uh, Slavery by the Name Uh, This was a very important lesson, kind of a revelation of the last decade that we've begun to realize Just how deeply slavery persisted in the United States Over the 20th century that it really has not been uprooted and eradicated that the prison-industrial complex continues to enslave millions of people in this country and deny equality of opportunity to far too many. What I want to go back to though, a possible sequel or suggestion for how we can grapple with the truth in more forceful terms, is basically the idea that for 50 years prior to the Civil War, this exact same system existed here in New York City. It existed in New Jersey, it existed in Connecticut, and Delaware, Ohio, and Indiana. They began to, at the state legislative level, abolish slavery between 1776 and 1790. But as soon as slavery was abolished in the North, these states immediately put restrictions on the African American population. What kind of jobs they could work, where they could travel, how they could be placed in prison and re-enslaved, how their children could be held in bondage. The last slave in New Jersey was freed by the 13th Amendment in 1865. This is not just a Southern narrative, and so this story of how the South came to study the North and then emulate and expand on the policies of maintaining slavery needs to be told. The second part of what I wanted to say to you all this evening is the same lesson about how we take away a lesson for the future. And my center has really worked for the last 20 years developing a way to overcome so the way wealth was denied to our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors. How do we go from a system and a society that's built on financing inequality and making poverty permanent for millions of people? not just African Americans, not just people of African descent, but thousands of European immigrants, thousands of people from Asia and Latin America, all held within a global system presently where their consumer dollars are the way that they are enslaved, that they are shown not to own property or begin to enter promise. The work that we're doing in New Jersey and has gone about for the last two or three years is taking people who save $50 a month, $100 a month, $200 a month, $200 a month and turn totally that into new enterprises that generate quarter million dollars, half a million dollars, three million dollars annually. And then once we get to that point, how do we get to begin to compete in terms of global finance on the billion dollar scale? That's the only way we change this world. We need to look at this film, we need to engage this history, know the lessons so that we can build a more just and fair world economy. We are the only people with this knowledge to be able to accomplish we stand to the side, if we don't take the challenge, you can guarantee that inequality will persist and get worse for our children and our grandchildren.
9: Uh, Mr. Ford, you have a pretty unique perspective uh, on this matter, especially the industrial prison complex the prison defense attorney. Uh, you work with cases, I'm sure, on a daily basis of people, of African descent, especially young people who are incarcerated. Dealing with uh, being, you know, jailed for little, itty-bitty things. Talk about the the current state of slavery in our time now.
10: Certainly, I would be happy to. First of all, I just want to say that I've seen this documentary three times, and based on that, I want to change my description from the angriest black man in America to the angriest black man on the planet. Because every time I see this, I become more and more years. James Baldwin says to be black and conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. And that is so true. And every time I see and hear about things like what was talked about in this documentary, I become more and more enraged. And let me just respond very quickly to uh, Roy's question. I'm a criminal defense attorney in Philadelphia, and the laws and are similar to the laws throughout the country. There's something called DSJ, There's something called certification. And what they mean is this, for certification, if you're 14 years old, if you're accused of a felony, and if the court system determines they can't control you, you go straight to the adult court. Wow. That certification, you're certified as an adult from age 14. They have a relatively new thing in Pennsylvania And again, this is consistent throughout the country called DFJ, direct file juvenile. In this case, if you're accused of certain crimes and you're 15 years old, and it's alleged that you had a weapon or prior conviction, you go straight to the adult system. Think about that. These are 14 and 15 year old boys being thrown to the wolves as serious criminals. So people often say the more things change. The more they stay the same. I say the more things change, the more they get worse. They because that's exactly how things go. Let me just wrap this up because I've never met a microphone I didn't love. <laughs> so I want to make sure that there's not too much love making here for the next 40 or 30 minutes. So we had a great passion. Let me just say this. When we see documentaries like what well, we saw, for me the answer is either revenge or reparation. Okay. Yeah.
5: Revenge okay. or reparations. You right. just can't see something like this and have that
10: righteous indignation and go home and watch the basketball game.
9: Yeah. Thank you, Miss Wilson. There is an underlying theme here, and that is the lack of education that exists uh, currently in our, particularly public school system, to teach young people about the history and the knowledge that we started from Why is there a continual struggle to? Have this a uh, part of curriculum role across the country and talk about the work you to
4: combat that. People decide they don't the story told. Um, education is institutional. And um, the work we've been able to do in New Jersey is really demystify the idea that history belongs in those powerful people that America has seen should be able to tell a story. Um, New Jersey was groundbreaking in the fact that ten years ago it decided that it would um, equalize the playing field, that it would allow most voices to be represented in our history, that we would decide that our K-12 curriculum initiatives would allow African American history, and thus open the door for us to be able to bring in many, many multicultural stories into the paradigm. As not just the Black History Month, not just the American History Forces, but standardized and institutionalized in the case of social science context standards. Um, and in that, it has allowed our office um, to sort of monitor, um, to cajole, um, to force when we've to. Many districts, but more in county North, to have to embrace these kinds of stories have to have these kind of voices represented and to allow us to really expose children to this little history we have a misnomer that slavery ended with the civil war um but what i'd like to do even in to primary sources is i you know if lay think about this sometimes and if you can lay out the 14th amendment you can lay out the 13th amendment and you can start talking about the first state black code that are in the 13 days later, that begin to criminalize life. The baby was the code 13 days from the 13th Amendment. The history speaks for itself. What becomes important is that we begin to educate children so that they really understand what the legacies are. And so that's the work that we're trying to do in New Jersey, Letting these people's voices begin to speak so that we can understand contemporarily where we are and what the situation is now. Mr. Lai.
10: I know it's not anything mystical or hard to believe why our kids are being scooped up or a savage prison. I mean, the prison complex, which is becoming more and more privatized, our kids are going into prison. We've been making money for a lot of localities that aren't here, uh, not just as far as uh, being and you know, supplying those workers with a prison industry. All right. But also supplying them with uh, representation, because uh, for a long time, and it's starting to change now. Uh, the prison population was Canada is part of their population as far as the census. Okay. All right, so they got a greater rep- representation than we did, and, and those 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 children off the bus. We have to look at uh, the prison uh, industry now. And we have to look in our part and start identifying some things. Uh, there are a couple of segments of this. You know, there's the direct uh, prison products, labor uh, companies that, that have products made in prison, and then there are the companies like Walmart and McDonald's that pay suppliers who have products. Made Right? So when you go going to Walmart, you're looking at the uniforms or you're looking at the plastic utensils. They've been probably made by a prisoner. You're going to McDonald's, you go into are going to Walmart, here's what happens. Uh, the products that are brought back as far as uh, the returns, uh, the overstock items, all of that has to be liquidated. Walmart has some policy where uh, they they say that they don't use printed labor directly, right? But these uh, these uh, liquidators come in and they purchase these 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 cancel products from Walmart, and then they take them to printers and they have them uh, uh, the the manufacturing identity taken off of it, and they put back into the market and sold at a very low rate. So Walmart is is sending uh or is making money from the liquidation all right but but that that what they are receiving is actually subsidized by us because the prisons are are operating as factories taxpayers paper you know we're sending people into them and they're getting cents on the dollar and they they say under these guys that you know you're giving these prisoners uh, uh marketable skills well let a prisoner walk out of the prison and go to the same place. Go show up at the HR place of the of the corporation that employed them in prison and yeah. see what happens. So uh, some of these things about this complex, we when we see officers push, pushing our kids up against the wall pervasively. You know, this isn't is some mystic coincidence, right. all right. When we see a mayor like Bloomberg talking about how stopping Chris stops crimes. Alright, and he goes around the country and he talks about what he's doing about gun, guns. right? But he knows that these guns are sold in gun shows in Alabama, Virginia, or whatever. And they aren't made in Harlem. And here you have the island of Manhattan has got a certain number one. You can only get in on a bridge or a tunnel. He doesn't show off the flow of guns into Manhattan, he waits until they get him. And and our kids wound up in this system. Alright, you see very little as far as uh, the gun sales or the the gun traffic before it gets to the op. And you see everybody swamping down, uh, you know, when there's a kid walking around, and they're not finding ducks, right? But they're finding things like marijuana, Something like that. No level things to put us into. So we have to be very conscious of this. As an activist, and I'm gonna close real quick, we have to always be looking for things that are going to make changes. For me, we have to readily identify these prison products. And uh, I would
5: move that uh, we we start, as uh, one of the things we're gonna be doing it again,
1: looking at a uh, uh, we need
10: to have a push to have prison products labeled as prison products. You know how they made it in America? Well if it's made in prison, i it's made in prison. All right, and we start looking at those things and making conscious decisions about how we spend it. We start choking off the money. All right, we may not get there as far as and uh, totally changes the budget, but you watch who sprays first, and they're guilty, they're guilty. So we're going to have to do some things where uh, really the URs change the
9: situation. Uh, at this time, I would like those who to, have any questions to, uh, to come stand in the middle of the They And while that's happening, I wonder if we can stop and give a round of applause for all the young people.
3: really enjoyed the, uh, the film and the presentation. i like to say it still goes on today. Uh, Senator Eric Adams in Brooklyn, he had a program with the DA, Hines in Brooklyn. If you get caught smoking a cigarette on the subway, urinating, jumping the turns down, you will be issued a summons. If you don't report for that court date, they will issue you a warrant so you will have a criminal record. What is happening, when you go to these courts, you either even gonna do five days community service or 30 days in jail. When you do the five days community service, you are doing labor. You're cleaning up a toilet at the court. You're cleaning up the New York City Parks Department. So, it haven't went away. They, it's dressed up, but it have not went away. It is still here. You gotta wake up. When you people are going to work in the morning, when you see a group of men with the orange vests on, they're being worked just like they was in 1908. We, as black people, we spend too much money for Harlem not to own something in Malcolm X's name. We can own something on a hundred and twenty-six. If we really love Malcolm X, just put our money where Malcolm mouth is. There's too much rappers out there with money. There's football players out there with money. There's basketball players out there with money, you know. There's a lot of things we can do.
1: Okay, my name is Carl Dick. What I want to say is one of the historians in this film said that it would take a lot of hard work to uproot the way that they were incarcerating black people back then. Well, let me update it and take it a little farther. It will take revolution nothing less to uproot the way that they mistreat, abuse, and oppress black people. It's built into the fabric of the system. And on that tip, I want to bring up two things. The first is that a film titled, B.A. Speaks, Revolution Nothing Less, going to be premiered in New York, probably in Harlem, mid-March. Something you want to know about, check me out, I'm going to be here. The other thing is on the activist tip, February 26th is one year since the vigilante murder of Trayvon Martin. Last year, a lot of us said we are all Trayvon. Well, we better all still be Trayvon because the only reason there's a case is because we took to the street. And if we don't keep acting, they will let the killer walk just like the cops did that night. But also, if we do act, we're not only acting for justice there, we are saying no more to the criminalization of our youth, no more to that bullseye that they got on our kids' back. And that's a statement that I think we all need to be part of making. Mm-hmm. I got material on both of these, see me about it.
2: Hi, my name is Tyler Nero. I just, um, first I, I think I need to uh, note that I'm, I'm very blessed and pleased that in, in my life, someone picked me out of a crew of young black men that was possibly going to be in trouble and and said you have potential and you know the first time i ever read the autobiography of malcolm x it was given to me by eliasa she's been my mentor for more than 20 something years where i am right now if it wasn't for eliasa right now i'm in columbia university working on a master's degree my My third master's degree, she told me to hurry up and make it a doctorate, but I have a plan for that. Part of it is, I think, policy backed by, and this is my reaction to the movie, policy is stated that this is the rule and these are how things are going to happen. And then you can have the law that makes these things up. And what happens, I feel like young black people, is folks don't understand the policy and they only abide by the law because of the consequences. And I think that what has to happen is there needs to be communication that policy is wrong. And that's where we we really lose it because we don't understand the rigmarole, as my grandmother would have said. We don't understand all these different words and the numbers, because statistics are crap. That just justifies to put a whole bunch of cops in bedside, a whole bunch of cops in your neighborhood where you get more tickets, you get more occurrences with the law. And I think that's where we have to start also by having micro interactions with young people and, and saying, let's give them enlightenment. And you don't get that with having big ideas and big dreams because you don't talk to Lil Ray Ray and you don't talk to Shanika that way. They don't understand sometimes. They need really someone with a positive light to look at them and say, you really matter. And I'm gonna summarize that and say thank you, Oyasa, because I do feel like I'm having a question.
0: Good evening, my name is Janie Carlin, and no way am I that eloquent as far as what they said, but um, I'm saying on behalf of those who are enslaved far as with the drug scene. Um, I did drugs for 20 years, and I'm an ex-crack addict, uh, five years. And the reason why I'm responding to this film is that when they talk about slavery, um, I was enslaved mentally. And what I want to say, there was a point where I couldn't talk, and I was really in the street. My family still going through that. They're enslaved mentally. And I only met one person, I can't mention their name, uh, but I'll just call them TMac. I met one person at a church who, when I was in bondage with um, drugs, and mentally could not cope. They were able to speak to me where I was. My family does not believe in education. They don't believe in college. They don't believe in anything. My, my mom does not believe in any of that. I graduated at St. John's University, a bachelor's, and I'm attending Hofstra University. And my point is with this film, I, I didn't know anything about this. I'm, I'm embarrassed, I'm 51 years old. I knew nothing about this. I, I heard, I heard, and I'm saddened by it, and my tears, it's not that you know I'm very emotional, but the fact is, I cannot believe this thing happened. So it's not only education, obviously, our family has to talk to us about this. Um, my neighbors here, all of you have to talk to me about this. I know nothing about that. So my question basically is, I don't know where to start, and I, I feel sort of embarrassed, because I have a degree at, at St. John's, I have a degree, I'm going for another degree, but I know nothing about this. And again, I'm 51 years old, so I'm asking you, what do I do to try to get this started? Good work.
5: Yes.
10: College for the first time, all the first person in their family's history every day. Uh, I dealt with a man named Mitchell about six months ago. still in touch. He works for me now. Dealing with people one on one goes across the board. It's the interpersonal interaction. So many children are dealing with issues of violence in the home, parents who don't support them, friends who discourage them. Having that conversation that I had with Mitchell. Set him on a path where he's like, well, education is doing great for me, I'm getting my degree, but now I'm also going to set the plan that it's not just a career I have in mind. I have a goal that I'm going to own my own business, I'm going to generate jobs for the people in my community that are struggling. And so that transformation has to happen, number one. So the second question, just really quickly on a book to start, for anyone who's here that's concerned with the history of New York and the connections to the film, Adam Berlin has a book that he put out at the New York Historical Association called Slavery in New York. And it talks about the institution back in was New Amsterdam and how it evolved up to the point in the early 19th century when slavery came to an end in New York. So if you want to get a start just on that, it's an extraordinary book that blends primary sources with more difficult historical interpretation, but it's very accessible. Very simple book, Slavery in New York is a great place to get started. Good evening, my name is Howard Rose and I want to thank Leslie for informing me about this presentation. Which leads me to the concern that I didn't know about it. I understand that it was on public TV, it was on a variety of channels, and I'm wondering how many other people sitting in this room, it's the first time that they may have seen this. And if it's a lot of people, that should pose a strong concern if it's their first time seeing it. So my question is, what can be done to get this movie, And perhaps complementary materials to go along with it to be in every library in the United States and every school system in the United States.
5: Well, I think that's
4: the whole purpose of this film. Um, I think, with regards to the reality of. The majority of what average history is in this country, most people are unaware. Um, this country is not invested enough in making sure that the stories have been told. Oftentimes it's problematic, sometimes they're not pretty, and we like our history in nice little neat bows. And um, history in itself, and the beyond of life, it is messy, as it should be. Um, on what more we will see that people generally will want to extend this of knowledge. PBS did do um, a series of companion pieces that, in regards to lesson plans, in regards to accounts, that are available for the public as a companion piece system. Um, I know uh, for the state of New Jersey, and it's also available for the rest of the country free of charge, as a part of our curriculum, we may the material available. Um, In regards to how we strategically make sure it is done, it becomes on the part of educators. Um, when we begin to demystify these educational initiatives, we begin to really look at what we want included and the histories and the people we want included. We need to make sure that these are all on the table. You know, we have this great move for the Common Core Standards, we have all these states that have adopted this whole ideology, but what we're not talking about is the content. We're talking about skills, we're talking about testing, we're talking about all these things. Going to talk about whether or not these things are included, we must begin to talk about the real demystification and a real extent of the content that we're including for our kids. Because if we do not, we're going to look up. Our kids adopt these stories and understand the historical significance that we have all played in the Cross American story. Uh, Stephanie, before you pass the mic, can you, is there
9: a formal process by which someone can petition uh, the local education body to include this in the curriculum? Well, I can speak for New Jersey, and I can
4: speak for New York as well. The um, Amistad law is in both states. Now the differential between New Jersey and New York is is that um, when New Jersey instituted the ambassadial law, we understood that it was a state mandate that needed to be funded, that it didn't have a staff, and needed to have someone to overstate, not just the board of commissioners.
5: Um, So New Jersey had the board of commissioners,
4: but I was also hired to actually run the mandate. New York had the board of commissioners there's nobody that's actually able to run the mandate. So when it's a law that's going to both New York, but no one has decided what it will look like, the pragmatics of it, how it will apply, what curriculum materials. I've been doing many times with the Department of Education. It asks many questions, but the actual institution of it has not transformed. New Jersey has its so own challenges. We have many counties that don't want to adopt the policy, they don't want to understand what it means, they do not understand what the pragmatics are. In, in either state, and there's now seven of them in the country that have asked me to come because they have this law. What I always say, because I myself am a parent and a school board member, and I know for sure that until you see material come home from your own children, you know that there's not going to shift and change in the curriculum initiative. So, the most powerful means and modality for any kids to be pushed is parental involved community involvement. Yes.
10: Thank you. My name is Reggie Bratton. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I'm a 55-year-old father of four boys and two grandsons. Uh, my question to the panel is this. Uh, I grew up in a project in Brooklyn, um, and so for the last 10, 15 years, we would try to, with this uh, criminal system uh, incarcerating so many of our youth. we had a 10-point system that we put on a sheet of paper and try to let the parents and the children know what to do uh, for preventive measures to not get into prison. And if you got there, this is what you could do to have to expedite the process of getting out. Can the panel answer or give me some more tips that I can increase this list that I could give out to the parents of children who are in school, because we have priests in school now. I could uh, hand this out to the churches. Uh, Just I'm gonna give you some more tips.
9: If you guys
5: can hold on to that question and answer it in one second. We're going to try to get another question in. Hello, my name is Delia Boniga, and uh, I'm honored to be here with you guys tonight. Um, my question is, uh, when, uh, um, when the drug era came into New York City, uh, the crack of cocaine era, uh, I'm sorry, we passed, they passed Rockefeller laws, and those laws target our community. Now we're talking about gun laws, and I'm all to stop the violence guns. But how certain are we that when these gun laws are passed they're not here again to target our community? Because we can rally for a Trayvon Martin, and I'm all for Trayvon Martin, but we can't rally for many issues that we have in our community. So as a panel, what are your suggestions? Like uh, I said
10: before, you know, uh, there's one thing, especially with the blooper, uh, it's one thing to concentrate on uh, the, the companies and the stores and the gun shows uh, that uh, where the guns are, are sold, and then they're transported to New York. So if you know if you know where people buy guns, you know you know they're coming into New York, and you're not stopping them before they come to New York. You have a different agenda, and to wait until. The community is saturated with guns, and then under this bruise, search everybody, you know, everybody in, in the community. You know, that's, that's a different agenda. You know, and the, and the mayor may be talking about he's anti gun and everything else, but with this stop prison, he can't justify this, and it's putting a lot of people into the system. So, uh, when, when we talk about gun laws. right, and what's being changed now, the the emphasis is on automatic weapons and it's also on uh, background checks, which I don't think background checks are a bad idea, but going back to a couple of, uh, quickly, a couple of uh, questions before, um, one of the things that we can do is stop being so damn afraid about young people. You know, we're walking right past them every day. We got to stand up. You know? And we got a community of kids that
7: we see as hostile and alienated. And, and, and what,
10: what's the mystery about why that is? Alright? So, you know, you can see from the example uh, that the man is uh, he's talking about, he's going to Columbia, he's, he's got a couple of masters. he's working on his doctor. Somebody engaged him. Somebody at some point did not wait it was a more compelling circumstance. They said hello and started a conversation when he turned it around. So some of the things that we could do are very, very, very very small, but important. You know, I was asked to in the other panel as both, I guess, artists and historian. And I think a lot of times, you know, we just, that can't be contained. Because when you think about outrage, we often operate from a point of outrage and anger. But what happens when it dies down? We just wait for the next call. So again, I think that it's important that we do take a more positive um, and active process in how information is disseminated throughout our community and move forward. Hello, my name is Mary Kemp. I'm
5: from
7: Philadelphia.
5: I'm a member of the a financial supporter. Every three weeks, once a month. And before we have our meetings, we honor our ancestors
7: by yelling out their names. And we are often yelling out Mathematics' names. And such as Fannie Lou Hamer and all the people, Dr. Leon Sullivan, we give them honors once a month before we start our meetings. And I think that's to help the young people to keep their memories alive. And uh, I just want to say that uh, uh, the film that I saw, it reminds me of something that's going on this week in California. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This I didn't have uh whole, uh, I don't what he did, but no one's talking about the letter that he left back, and I think that should be in the discussion. Yeah. In Hi, good evening. My name is...
4: I'm Hunter, and I just want to say
0: that um, I enjoyed this this whole event, it was really amazing and enlightening and um, I'm involved in the community, but I would like to know, being
4: that we are discussing, you know, how children are being affected by a lack of education and and knowing their history, how can we, um, like, how would, what I want to know is, will there be more events like this, not just for Black History Month, but like every month more often? so that we can get, so we can get kids in our community to come out, get the parents involved, so their children will know their history and, and what resources are available where I could do my research and, and inform other people, you know, so that our children will be informed as to know who their his, what their history is.
5: Uh, good
4: evening, um, thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Sister Terry Wisdom. And um, I'm the treasurer of the Hamilton Heights Homeowners Association, and a group of homeowners in Hamilton Heights, um, mostly African-American and mostly elders. And we came, we brought a block of tickets, and we also um, bought some books. But I think that this is very important. And um, my question is twofold. One, how can we dramatize um, these events that have happened to us? and incorporate the young people, because most of the young people, and I have my granddaughter here who's 13, who's part of the Blue Nile pathogen into Rights Program, with that opinion, but they're really not feeling it. Like, we lived it, we had a passion, we were exposed to it, but because of media and all the other things, they kind of think that's something that happened, but they really didn't, they can't feel it you know they see it but they really can't feel it and i kind of feel like if we really don't dramatize it like at one point um imamu baraka had or somebody i don't know if it was his but it was called slave ship and you actually were in that shift and you actually felt it so i think unless we can really dramatize because this was information but to young people they got to really feel the connection and that spirit has to be woken up the other twofold is, like, how can we really get in the prison system and know and see what is going on? I have a family member, a close family member, who just came out after five years. Three of those years, he spent 23 hours on lockdown. This is in Bergen County. There are 900 prisoners, and 200 of them are undocumented aliens. This is in Hackensack. They have created no crime except to be here, and those are the most depressed ones, and they don't know when they are coming home. It's, across the bridge, and unless you got somebody inside, and you kind of go, fortunately they had some parents or family meetings, and that's how you find that out. They have two psychiatric social workers for 900 prisoners. So the question is how can we get in there, hands on, really see what's going on, And even if you can't do something, at least this information, I put it out in a group here, and I'm sure most people don't know, that in Berkeley County, there's 200 undocumented aliens. And they're not all Mexican, they're Haitian, and then once they do get out, they send them back to their country where they might not speak the language and don't know nothing about it. So then they're in another kind of world. So that's my question. Yeah, Michael
9: Court is gonna wrap up with answering your question and the other question about the case in California, but I do wanna get the two questions, especially the one from the young fellow back here.
5: Any other questions
4: quickly? Um, I don't have a question, but I would like to everybody, my name is Charlotte griffin Bond. I came here tonight as a parent and as an educator. And in questions to what Ms. Wilson was saying about the education of our children today, I chose two years ago to homeschool my child because I felt that the only way he was going to know about black history, the culture of our people, is by giving it to him firsthand. The lack of it in schools is not being taught. I see that firsthand every day when I go to work. I've seen it in private schools as well as in public schools. And this was my choice to do this, and that's why he's here tonight, because I felt this is how he's going to learn history
5: by traveling to different places and seeing the first scene.
10: Thank you. I know we're running out of time, and folks are trying to get out of here, so I'm going to be very quick in my response. Um, there was a young lady AvengingTheAncestors.com, AvengingTheAncestors.com. They fought in Philadelphia, they found out, I should say we found out, that the first White House was in Philadelphia. George Washington enslaved black people there. We fought the federal government and won a historic victory back in 2010. And if you go to Philadelphia, at Sixth and Market, at the Liberty Bell Center, you'll see a magnificent memorial to the enslaved Africans owned by George Washington. You double, you double, you double, got